Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Will Ole Gunnar Solskjaer join Steve Bruce as a former Sir Alex Ferguson player and lose his job this week? Manchester United get destroyed by Liverpool 5-0. Real Madrid were the victors in a far from classic Clasico and PSG's growing pains continue at the Stade Velodrome. And if that wasn't enough to cram into one day, by the way, Inter and Juve played as well. We can recap. James Bench, Heath Pierce, Kego Lasso begins right now. Everybody, welcome to Kigo Lasso, our weekend recap. Thank you so much for being part of the family. If you're watching live on YouTube, I can't emphasize this enough. We want to hear from you. Get in the comment section, give us a question. James Benj will answer it. Heath Pierce will answer it. If you're an Arsenal fan, join in the fan and cram in on Bully Me today. That's fine. We'll we'll take care of business. Share your thoughts, ask a question, whatever you want. Get things off your chest as well. If you're a Man United fan, I really want to hear from you. Uh, our producer Des will throw in the best comments on the screen and so much more now some of you are listening to this on the podcast form so that's very nice you know what's even nicer please in and subscribe to the Kegolasso pod give us a five-star rating and review on apple podcast spotify stitcher and you can listen on cbs sports and your cbs sports app right then that's the business taking care of let's welcome in heath pierce how are you bud I'm doing good. Just so you know, I'm going through the run of show right now mm. that we sent over. I put my headphones down while I was trying to get this thing going, and I and I hit a dash, and so it made about forty pages of dashes <laughs> on the run of show. So I'm trying to fix that for you while you keep this going, so that you don't go. What do we talk about next? And then you go. Let me scroll forty pages of dashes. But otherwise, I'm good, man. What a what a, what a beautiful weekend it's been. What a beautiful weekend indeed. I presume you mean just weather wise, but we'll get into that in a second. James Benj, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm realizing that it's been football every day this week. I'm like Jimmy Butler in the bubble. I don't know how much longer I can take this. Um, we have a night off tomorrow. I'm so excited. I know. It's so, like Jimmy Butler in the bubble. Very good, my friend. Very might, good. Uh, might be good to go and watch a few classics while you have some downtime, you know, watch a few of the, uh, you know. Get the research going from some of that 90s football if you if you need a break from the modern football. Absolutely. Absolutely. But welcome in, everybody. Thank you again for being part of the family and the show. Like I said, we want your comments. We want your questions uh, from Real Madrid to Manchester United to Arsenal. Yes, I have said it. Say it. Uh, comment it. Ask us. We want to get you. All right, let's begin. The Premier League, everybody. Another busy weekend. A lot of goals scored everywhere. We're going to get to it uh, from a schedule perspective. We'll talk about uh, all the weekend action, but we have to begin. Manchester United absolutely embarrassed by Liverpool. Five nothing. Five nothing. Straight away, before we talk about all the details of the game itself, which I'm sure is pretty one-sided, James Bench, Olegana Soldier, how long does he have? I mean, everything I've ever heard from from United, and I know that others have reported similar, is that they really want to give him time. They really want to back him. This result, you kind of can't let one game change everything you think about Solskjaer. But this one game should really 
emphasize all the issues that are around this team. I mean, I, I sort of made the point that some of the, you know, the games like Atalanta or particularly Villarreal, Man United, it was kind of the best case scenario for the way they played, where they weren't that good collectively. There was no real plan, but individual brilliance got them out. This is what happens when the individuals are off. When Cristiano Ronaldo's pretty pretty much his only major contribution was a, a red card offence. Uh, when Harry Maguire goes missing, when uh, I don't even know who was playing in midfield, that's how vacant they were. Mm. When all that falls apart, Liverpool didn't have to be very good to tonk them. Liverpool were worse than they have been for a while that I've seen. You know, certainly they were much better against Watford last week. And they could have, but equally, they could have had, they could have had 10. Uh, you know, Heath and I, I'm sure as a as Guna, Heath, you were thinking, go for 10. I want Arsenal to get above <laughs> Man United on goal difference. Um, yeah, they were diabolical. There's no plan. Sometimes they press, sometimes they don't. I don't know what they're thinking. I, and it does all come back to the manager. And I know Gary Neville on Sky is trying to stand by his friends, but it, it is everything. It's the Solskjaer regime writ large. And I'm sorry, but if you want to win a title with this team, you have to sack him. Yeah, I fully agree. I think this was uh, an indicator where, you know, anytime you see the end of the line, and, and this is the hard part when you you get a public uh, backing where it almost, uh, maybe that lights the fire, maybe it, it backfires, but it's one of those ones where now it feels like the only people are the boardroom that are deciding to keep him. It seems like the players seem to be over him. And I know he's such a likable guy and you could see on his face the distraught nature of this where, you know, I, this was one of those ones where he was actually willing to put the blame on the players and say that the play, the, the players and the team weren't good enough. And, but I also look at the tactic and I go, well, what, what do you, what, what would have been good enough? What, what would have matched up with this team? If you're, if you're naive enough to think that Liverpool aren't going to, their front three aren't going to counterattack you and open you up. If you don't have a, a decent, you know, go back to the fundamentals of the game. Pressure cover balance, tra- the transition game. You know that Liverpool are so good in the transition game. So why would you open yourself up to those types of moments where it only takes one chance, two chances, three chances, and now they're running away from you? I, it's just one of those things that I, I, I can't, for the life of me, look at a team like Manchester United that has the quality of the players they have. Take tactics out and say, listen, we're going to go with no taxes, tax, uh, tactics. Just go with what you know. Go to every player and say, go with what you know today. You know? You're telling me they don't know how to play against Liverpool? You're telling me they don't know how to defend? They don't know how to de- defend in transition? You have some of the highest paid and most like highly regarded players in the world, and they don't know how to play against Liverpool or get up for a match against Liverpool? It's hard for me to understand unless that's in spite of a manager or in spite of a thing going on right now. And so that's – I understand they want to give him more time and things like that. But when I look at a performance like that, that's humiliating if you're a player. And how do you not go into a match saying, hey, look how good these guys have been uh, in the last weeks. Look how good Mo Salah has been. Let's try to maybe do something different. And instead, you go out and you play it the way that you always played, almost with a level of arrogance, and you get punished for it over and over and over again. I mean – I don't, uh, you know, uh, I think Benji said most of what I, what I would, what I was thinking on this whole thing, other than the fact that there's a personal pride there that I don't understand where you, how you get to that point. Just picking up on what, what he said and I, and I agree about not changing the plan. And there, there is a real level of arrogance to this, whoever it's come from, whether it's, and you know, it's no one's immune here because the, you know, these are, as he said, these are professional football players. They need to be able to adapt to situations in game. There's only so much Solskjaer can do when it becomes apparent that there are issues that need addressing. You think it's the home game, Benji? You think it's home that that that, that did it? I, or, well, I don't I, know. I, 
I thought strange is it's they're, they're conceding the same goal a lot, which is overloads on the wing. They've got four men. They've got four man four men back. Yes, McTominay drops into central midfield, but if you cram that central area, then there is so much space out wide. I mean, Trent had one one assist. Cater had another. And what's funny is Zappacosta had the same assist four days ago. Four mm. days before that, Ricardo Pereira was creating havoc down the down the left. And it's not Luke Shaw's fault because Luke Shaw kind of looks on his inside shoulder and sees Mohamed Salah, uh, you know, in a in a one on one or whatever with Maguire, and he's got to help. Yeah. But Marcus Rashford is. 15 yards up the pitch. And I yeah. know that Marcus Rashford will chase back that Marcus Rashford can press. Yeah. If he, if that's what he's asked to do, but I don't, that's it. I don't know what is the plan. Just we'll yeah. leave these three up, but then yeah. teams don't respect the ability to pass to, to, of United's midfield to pass up to that three. None of it's working. Yeah. Um. Just to add on a few things, by the way, if you're a Man United fan, why we really want to hear from you. First of all, we want to hear about Olegana Social and your thoughts. I mean, especially if you were backing Olegana Solskjaer, like the board itself. Here's a obviously quoting uh, Olegana Solskjaer by our reports. I have come too far. We have come too far as a group and we're too close to give up now. I don't know what too close means. I don't know too close to what. I don't really see it. I, you know, we have been talking about this. It's not just me. It's not just James Bench. It's not just Heath Fears. It's Jimmy Conrad. It's everybody that's in this show for the last year about Olegana Solskjaer and just the lack of of identity. I kept on giving the Zoolander a reference where like, Zoolander's looking in the puddle of water and saying, who am I? Like I did that like last year. And it's still, I don't know who you are. The alarming thing about today, boys, was that aside from the fact, to your points, that they're not learning from the mistakes. They're conceding the same goals. Uh, Liverpool had nearly 730 passes to Manchester United's 396. That, that to me at home is just, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Uh, obviously, in almost every stat, Liverpool completely controlled. Mohamed Salah now 14 goals in last 10 appearances. We're going to talk about him in a second. Best player in the world argument once again. But Manchester United are an absolute mess. So I ask everybody that's watching right now, should Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as good as a human being as he is, and he's liked, should he stay? Should he go tomorrow? I want your questions. Uh Let's see, is that Ola? Uh, the only reason he is probably staying, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, is because he might bring Haaland. If that is your hope, or if that is that what you think, then you can kiss Haaland goodbye. There's no way Haaland is coming to this mess. Remember Haaland's career. He's done a, 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 you know, remember how young he is. He knows exactly what he wants. Larry says Ole has to go because if they keep him, it shows that the club is not about winning. So yeah. he, let's go back to yeah. you. Go ahead, make your point. Yeah, yeah. On, on, my point on that is that I think every club in the top four should emphasize winning. But to me, it's not about Man United winning. I don't think that's the the the, the test of Ole. I think it's, again, it's this journey. Maybe he can't actually take it all the way to the point of winning. But he should be part of this plan. You should be seeing progress. You should see, oh, they're better than they were before, not just because they have individual players or they bring in more individual talent. You should start to see a plan coming together, right? When you have this many big players, you should start to see it come together in a way you go, oh, okay. This is going to take a while, but I can see where they're going here. And you go, just give it more time. But when I look at the team now, I just continuously go back to thinking that they just have a bunch of individuals that are looking at each other going like, how are we going to figure this out? How are we going to? But And then I look at the back line and, and, and James, like you were saying, it wasn't like they were sometimes out of shape. There were overloads, but like, you know, there should be moments where Maguire should be able to match up one-on-one with Mo Salah. He's, he's Harry Maguire. He's not... 
You know, like he's not a, a player from a lower division. He was a player that was highly regarded, highly touted, high, high quality. And I know he's struggling at the moment or struggling defensively, defensively at the moment. But these should, should be the things they get up for, not continuously punished by. And I'm just not seeing the progress. And again, I'm not watching them all day, every day. I'm not seeing the incremental growth maybe within the club that they see. But when I look at the identity as a whole, you go five transfer windows. You go look at all the time he's had, the money that he's had to spend. I'm not seeing... The way that we saw where when everybody was going after Klopp saying, oh, yeah, his record's not even as good as Brendan Rodgers. There's, and they were saying, no, no, there's something here. There's something here. We're tinkering. We're tinkering. We're going to see it come to life. You see it come to life. Same thing at Man City when you're talking about big spending. I'm not seeing that at Manchester United right now. I'm seeing same old Manchester United where there's a level of arrogance. I'm seeing them not find a cohesive uh, plan or game plan or tactic or style of play or whatever it was. Even if you go back to the Ferguson days, it wasn't that it needed to be pretty or it wasn't total football, but it had an identity where they were going to outfight you and the quality could win out. Yeah, I, I can only briefly add to to what he he said to sort of as a maybe as a counterbalance. You know, we all know this, but it is always worth reminding ourselves that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has achieved a lot at Man United over the last few years, and you know, it's, sometimes you have to have these managerial reigns to then go to the next level. You have to have someone bridging the gap. You know, the example we might make is, is Frank Lampard did a really great job at Chelsea of just managing with what he had, blooding a lot of youngsters, you know, and, you know, players like Mason Mount were outstanding in the Champions League final, but it needed a fresh voice and a really top tier world-class manager who then kind of took some excellent young players, some raw ingredients, put them up, push them all on to the next level in Thomas Tuchel. And I think it is possible for Manchester United to both be incredibly grateful for everything Solskjaer's done to really think he's a fine manager who's done good work, but also to just look at it level-headed and go, if we want to compete for titles with this group of players, it's got to be someone else. It's got to be fresh voice, fresh eyes. There's no shame in, in, in changing things up and, and trying to part with Solskjaer in a, could you keep him at the club? Way. Could you keep him at the club? Like, is there a role for him at this point or has he come too far for it to be like, Hey, you know, we want you to be a first assistant or we want you to be involved in some level. Cause I, I agree. There is, there, there is progress. There is benefit to that, to, to where he started and where the club is at now. But like you said, to hand off the baton. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, but I, I ask you yeah. something, let me ask you something. Okay. Because uh, James, you, you mentioned how he has achieved a lot. Do you think, he, you know, this squad, or at least, you know, from when he joined and how it's transitioned and changed in a little bit, has it achieved certain things because of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or in spite of him? Could they have done more at this point now? Because I'm talking about a Manchester United side. I was reading a comment there. You shouldn't do it based on one game, right? But I'm looking at them right now. They're seventh. They have conceded 15 goals, only one less than what they've scored. This is Manchester United, and they just lost 5-0. I know Liverpool are good, but 5-0, and they were embarrassed. All that says, you have to pull the trigger like Chelsea did and go two hole. It depends on the owner's mindset. Abramovich has a winning mentality. If you ain't winning, he's not letting you go. Okay, you're comparing it to Chelsea. Well, you know, so what do you do? Let me, let, let me re-ask what he just asked, James. Should, if you were the board right now, and you saw what you just saw today, would you sack him as a manager? Yeah, I would. Um, I struggle to think of an obvious replacement. Conte's obviously out there. I think, I don't know. I don't quite know if he'd click with those players. But something's got to give. I think in the end, if you're, as our commenter said, if your aspiration is to win the title, you just have to have a long, hard look at it and say, thanks, Ole, but it, it's time to move on. We think we can find someone else who can do yeah. this job a little bit better. Heath? 
is there a window? Uh, I mean, because I'm trying to think of it as no, a win. this week. This week, right? great. Like you, yeah. you make the choice now. Do you? Yeah. Does it- I, 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 I personally think you have to. You have to make the change. It's, it, it's come to a point, and you don't want it to get ugly, and you don't want it to keep mounting to being this unreachable milestone at some point. So it, it's, yeah, it's, it has to be now. Well, uh, we, we want to keep hearing from you, everybody, even though we moved on past the conversation. But let's not forget there was another team on the other side that still looks fantastic. Mohamed Salah. Uh, very quickly right now, James Bench, best player in the world? Oh, yeah, definitely. Keith? Absolutely. And as a winger, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, the assists as well that he creates. So Liverpool keep... Oh, by the way, should Cristiano Ronaldo should have, got, should have been sent off, by the way? Should that, yeah. should that have happened, James? Yes, yeah, for sure. It was... It was I really didn't like seeing that. I, th- I felt that to me felt like Ronaldo checking out that he didn't want to be in this game anymore. Same with Pogba. I thought Maguire as well. There were a few moments and it was maybe lucky to avoid a red for that, that foul on the edge of the box. A lot of Man United players just checked out. And that, that I think is the worry that maybe we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, I fully agree. I don't have much more to say than that. No, that's fine. But get in the comment section, everybody, and keep talking to us about should Oli go, should Oli stay, Manchester United, etc. Keep them rolling in. Right then, uh, Des Norris, let's uh, throw the rest of the results on the screen of the Premier League. And yes, it's the roasting hour, everybody. It began on Friday as Arsenal absolutely bullied Aston Villa. You hear James Bench opening up a tinny. He's very happy. He fears as well. I, hey, guess what? James Bench, uh, by the way, Des Norris was like, oh, Jimmy can't make it today. Yeah, right. It's because you wanted an Arsenal sandwich. You wanted James Bench and Heath Beard. So it began on Friday with Arsenal winning 3-1 against Aston Villa. Uh, we'll get to back to that in a second. Don't worry about it. West Ham, by the way, they are fourth now. Fourth. We'll talk about West Ham in a second. Norwich got absolutely destroyed as well. But let's begin. Arsenal Villa, how happy are you? Let's begin with you, James Bench. How happy are you? Oh, it was excellent. It was a one of the best performances I've seen from Arsenal in the post-Arsene Wenger era. Everything that um, Mikel Arteta wants his team to be, they pressed with energy. There was lots of short interplay passes. Alex Lacazette changed this team, um, you know, kind of always moving, always dragging defenders out of space. That created channels for Aubameyang. Smith Rowe, Saka. I mean, Villa were obviously, as you know, Luis, Villa were nowhere near their collective level. Um, but I think part of that was they were rocked by the intensity of Arsenal, the intensity of the stadium as well. I know that maybe our US viewers, it doesn't always come across that well on TV, the Emirates, but it was <laughs> rocking. It was fantastic on Friday, really helped them get those three points. And, you know, they are looking good. And I think we kind of have to you know, we've talked a lot about who the fifth best team in England are now. I think maybe there is a big group of teams, including Man United, including West Ham, who we'll come on to talk about, um, and including uh, Arsenal, that may well feel like they're going to be in a fight for fourth this season. Yeah, when you and, and when you look at it against the talk of Arteta out, which has been the conversation as well for long periods, it seems like they've rounded a corner of confidence. Again, I go back to last year, last season in the Europa League, when they were playing out these young guys, and they had this bit of youthful energy to them that I thought died at some points when they'd place certain of the other veterans that it felt like, oh, these guys have a hold of the locker room. You know, if mm. if, if Aubameyang doesn't have the right attitude, it feels like other young boys don't. And other of the veterans, whereas this one felt like there's a humility to the team right now, a little bit of a chip on the shoulder that I actually like, um, that I haven't seen since it was the young players playing in Europa League last season. And they were just sort of playing a little more fearless, a little more confidently, but like that humility of like, hey, this is a two-way sport now. This is a two-way game. We got to transition. We got to be fast. We got to have energy from the start. And so, yeah, just overall, just really impressive. 
Yeah, a very very good performance. Um, Luis, we need to we need to know how you're feeling after that. It's dreadful. <laughs> I, I think didn't... Said it was the worst 45 minutes his team has had under him. Yeah, I'm, hey, can I'm we pretty... get can we get Des to bring up uh, Luis's uh, tweet from the weekend because there was a lot of <laughs> no this, no that, no that, no that from his team. So I'd love to see if we can track yeah, that down. Sure, I saw yeah. that one. Please make me relive that. Um, okay, so first of all, Arsenal were amazing. Like, honestly, like bullied Aston Villa from minute one. To your point, Emirates Stadium was super loud. Everybody was behind the team. The press was there. Villa, Arsenal were as amazing as Villa were horrific. It was the worst I've seen them this season. I'm including the opening day against Watford when we conceded two in the first half as well. Uh, But it was awful, awful, awful. I hate the formation, 3-5-2. It doesn't work, I don't think. Um, I hated the mentality. I hated everything, and it's worried. Now, the only shining light is that Villa really actually haven't had a full healthy squad the entire season. Like, they, they really haven't. So that's my only shining light. But, I, that you know, October has been a mess. It wasn't just Arsenal's. Three straight losses, conceded eight goals. It's just, it's been bad. So am I worried in terms of relegation? No. Oh, hold worried. on, Luis. Luis, look at this. Look at this tweet yeah. you put out, though, man. <laughs> wow. As for Villa, terrible, depressing, worrying. October has been disastrous. Uh, I think there was another one in there as well. There, there was you said there was like no fight, no something. So there, I, I think, think it was, was a halftime one. Tweets. Yeah, it was a halftime one. Yeah, it was a halftime. Yeah. So I'm worried uh-huh. now. I, I, I'm always going to be a glass half full person. I think that Villa can turn this around. I mean, it's very it's still early, five points of a European spot, but things need to change a lot, beginning with our mentality. And the problem is, and this is a nice little segue, it leads up to our next game, which is West Ham who are now fourth in the Premier League table. They beat Tottenham. And obviously, uh, the com- let's begin with this question, James Bench. Should uh, Would Manchester United be better with David Moyes in charge at this point? Oh, my God, yes. David Moyes has, you know, we. I think everyone thinks of coaches as having a shelf life. Um, but this is like an Indian summer for David Moyes. Yeah. It's, you know, he knows himself better. He knows what he can do with a team and maybe the trajectory a team needs to take over time because year one with West Ham, he comes in and he just keeps them up and makes them solid. Year two, they're counter-attacking. They struggle a bit maybe when they have to dictate the terms of a game, but give them open space and they're devastating. And now they can do everything. They can do whatever you need them to do. And, um, you know, I I didn't see this one in the flesh. saw them in the flesh on Thursday night. But, you know, I, I think we're really guilty of seeing West Ham and going... They're just a big, tall, powerful team, and that's how they win. But there's there's real grace and quality and class in there, and I thought that was kind of typified with the goal. I don't know how Aaron Cresswell gets the ball to drop from the corners as quickly as he does. It's brilliant delivery. I mean, no wonder they keep scoring because he's hitting great balls for Suchek, Antonio, Dawson, whoever it is. I think they're the fourth best team in the league. I think they're a better team than Manchester United. The players might not be as good, but like there's a system that works, and actually players like Declan Rice are better than anyone United has. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. They're, before, they're... before he jumps in, I just want to ask to everybody watching, what do you think? Do you think West Ham are the fourth best team in the league? Is there somebody else who are your four best? Uh, you know, if you think West Ham is, just say yes or no. Uh, but I would love to know because I really think I agree. I have a friend. Uh, from from London, he messaged uh, our little group. I went to school with him. He's a huge West Ham fan. He's to him, he thinks this is the best West Ham side he's ever seen at this point, and that's uh, that's a major comment. Uh, to be honest with you, when you think about the good old West Ham teams from back in the day, tremendous tremendous stuff right now from them. What do you think, Heath? 
Yeah, I agree. And and to pick up on James's point about just balls from wide areas, whether set pieces or whipped in with pace, I've just seen this theme overall of just that going away in so many teams of that being an actual specialty skill set of, of set pieces, of whipping them in. I remember at one point I was playing with Bobby Convy. I think he was at Reading at the time. And the one thing that I loved about his game is when he had a corner kick, he would smack the ball over the first man and it would come flying in where it always yeah. had a chance. And I feel like we've moved away. The game is almost, I, I don't, I don't know, have any particular reason why. There's not like people are training it less. If just for some reason, that quality of, of a ball, and, and I see it across the board from lowest levels to the highest levels, there's still an inability to get past the first man, whether in the run of play or set pieces, or whip it into dangerous spots. And we've seen consistently, and the game's never going to change enough to where that's not going to be uh, an important part of the game, that if you have that, if you have that, just a little bit of that X factor, that threat, it changes it because now all of a sudden the corner kick is an actual disadvantage, right? For a team or it's an actual advantage for a team. Whereas now it feels like a corner kick, you get down there, we'll see what happens. And there's just like this whole put somebody on, on the corner kicks. And it, I, yeah, I, I, it was a ra random side note that I wanted to say about that, but I, I, I fully agree. And by the way, on the, on the Moyes point, when I had played with Tim Howard and I played with Tim Cahill at different times, obviously, um, they both loved him. They were all, I mean, obviously they were part of that sort of golden era of Everton and, and, you know, they both got sort of the last big contracts before they stopped paying some of those things. So they've got some, some loyalty there that I have to work through, but in terms of an identity and understanding, they were ones that always like went out of their way to speak about him. Uh, even when, when they weren't asked about him, they, they referenced him, uh, when trying, when working on tactical things, they referenced him on working on like mentality things. And so overall, you know, I, and, and my conversations with those guys were in isolation, so I and, and they both are high high achieving individuals that spoke highly of them. So yeah, at Real Sociedad, you get a lot of players saying that that they were very big fans of uh, David Moyes and stuff. So uh, what do you think, everybody? Uh, if you were a Man United fan, would you be better off with Moyes in charge, or from one of the best teams in the Premier League to arguably the worst? Norwich get absolutely destroyed. They haven't won a game yet. Uh, they're obviously bottom of the table. They have a minus 21 goal differential, two points. So here's the question, Heath, first. Is this going to be, at this moment, the worst Premier League team of all time? By the way, Derby in 2007-2008 finished with 11 points uh, with a minus 69 goal differential. Right now, as I mentioned, Canaries are on two points and 21 yeah. minus. So they're on course. So what do you think? Well, I will say on that uh, 07 08 season, we had two Americans that leave blood stain on us forever. And that's Eddie Lewis and Benny Philhopper were both on that Derby County team. So, uh, you know, I don't want to go sorry, too boys. It had to be mentioned. Unfortunately, if it happens, we'll have another American that breaks that record uh, with Josh Sargent. So we, we've, uh, we're not exactly, and I think Jay Demerit was part of a Watford team that was somewhere around that too. Oh, and they boy. had like seven points on a season. So I feel like the new generation, we're moving beyond that, guys. We have guys playing in, in, in bigger clubs and bigger games now. But, yeah, no, I think this is telling you to keep the Americans out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I talked about this before as a change of Daniel Farka. I know that it's a huge challenge. I know they're the. I think I believe the only self-funded club in the Premier League. But there has to be another way. And I respect self-funding because I'm very anti uh, finding loopholes in the financial fair play system that creates these behemoths that we're seeing now 
although they do tend to put out pretty attractive styles of play, which can be entertaining. Mm. But uh, that that's the story for another well, day. They're not mutually uh, exclusive, yeah, I think, yeah. those points as well. Yeah, so yeah I, I agree. You know, you got to... Uh, but Heath, to your point, though, Farka has been here before. He knows the Premier League. Like, this is even more worrying, don't you think? But, but like I said, when they went and got... Um, what's his name from Liverpool that was on loan last year um, from Schalke, the centre-back? Yeah, they just... Uh, the, what told you that this guy was a Premier League quality player? What showed you in that sample size that you say, you know what, we're going to now put him in with worse players in front of him and see if he can do even more with it? I just think some of the signings, and I, I know they, they're, they're cash-trapped. I know it's a really big challenge, but I still go back to the fact that like, when I was part of a promotion team in the Bundesliga, we knew who we were. We knew how hard it was. We knew what it was going to take to fight. You were going to be playing against better players. Every week was a quote-unquote final, you had you were just surviving a lot of times. And sometimes mm. you're so far out of your depths, you're like clapping for the other team when they scored. You're like, wow, that team's good. Um, you know, it, and so I know there's a challenge, but there has to be a motivation that goes beyond that. And it can't just be – anytime you're prefacing early on in the year, we're self-funded, those things, it just feels like a crutch. And I feel like they need to round the corner. I don't know if that's a managerial change or what, but it's pretty, pretty bad to watch over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, certainly I'm feeling a bit dumb about my prediction that they would comfortably stay up and maybe be the best of the promoted teams. That's uh, that's not aging all that well for me. Yeah, that, that's pretty bad. <laughs> you got I actually, I don't think they'll stay up now in the end, looking at it in the cold light of day. <laughs> I don't think they'll be dreadful, though. I mean, you've got to remember they're, they're missing some good, important players. Todd Cantwell, for me, you could kind of really feel his absence because there's no one linking the the front line and the midfield. Yeah. Um, I think as well, Sam Byram, who, who plays quite a bit at, at fullback, he's not been available. Billy Gilmore could do with being in that team just yeah. to... Still to though, Bench, still zero wins, uh, you know, conceded 21. What's the first time I... The, the reason I thought it was so worrying uh, on Saturday, yesterday, yeah. was because the players stopped working. You could see this with, I hate to say it, Josh Sargent for, um, I think it was Chilwell's goal. He just didn't track Ben Chilwell. And that's when you kind of worry that maybe they just start thinking, God, we're not good enough. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's the manager that maybe they don't think the manager's good enough. Maybe they think they don't think they're good enough. And it gets, it gets difficult there. I think yeah. if they don't get a win soon, you do kind of have to look at, you know, I think they're a better team than that Derby team were, but like, it's they just really arrive late annoying. though. Like when I watch their backline shift and move, it's like, they're a step behind everything. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, that's not, a recipe, you know, they should be killers. They should be flying into to things. They should be a step ahead, knowing like we've got to read the game. We've got to think a step ahead, but instead they're very reactive. And at the Premier League, the speed and speed of play of the Premier League, if you're a step behind, like every team will punish you top to bottom. Yeah, so if we look at that table, by the way, but on the table, the good news is, is that there are two other teams that haven't won a game yet. Uh, a few others, three more that have only won one. So it's not, you know, disastrous. You, you can get out of this. But to your points, you need uh, major changes and you need to do it right now. It's going to be difficult, obviously, as you mentioned, some players missing, et cetera. But uh, I would love to hear, we would love to hear your thoughts. Is Norwich City getting out of this? What do you think? All right, so that was the Premier League table. As we look up, of course, I mentioned the top four. Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, West Ham, uh, Brighton in fifth. Uh, so that was the Premier League. Let's move over now to Serie A. Uh, home of it is, of course, CBS Sports and Paramount+. Plus. Let's talk first. Derby d'Italia Inter against Juventus. James Bench, you worked this one uh, for us. Uh, what do you make of it? 
it was quite an intriguing game, certainly back and forth flow flowing wise. I didn't Allegri kind of went to match Inter's three three five two, didn't really work. Uh, Federico Chiesa, there seems to be a bit something not quite there between Allegri and Chiesa, but I I, I do not understand that at all because this kid is fantastic. Very weird. Uh, he when as soon as he came on and he came on with Dybala, there was that speed effervescence to to Juventus's attack and Inter who kind of tried to Juventus Juventus after scoring they were like we'll defend this you don't when it's Dybala when it's Chiesa the ball's moving too quick a bad foul by uh, by Dumfries that was well picked up by VAR I thought and uh, a, a fair draw really doesn't suit either team and we'll come to talk about Napoli a bit are they st- are they in Milan going to pull away I wonder um because mm. both of those teams looked both Inter and Juventus looked a bit underwhelming I have to say mm. I fully agree. It is good to see Eden Jekyll continuing to to contribute, which is you know interesting. When I even when I go back five years ago, I, I felt that like his style of play was going to need to evolve as a physical, large kind of center back occupying striker. But you know he continues to play at a high level and show that there is some replacement for for Lukaku. Obviously, not a replacement for him, but but showing that there can be some production outside of him. But yeah, it was uh, overall uh, a tight a tight fought match. I was actually expecting Juventus to be up for this one a little bit more than they were. Obviously, again, right. you're talking about Paulo Dybala coming in later. Chiesa, I agree with you, James, in terms of the spark and the energy that that brings. It feels younger. It feels a little more dynamic. Uh, Kulusevski is is a player that I'm really excited about for the future as he continues to improve and kind of pr- prove himself uh, even more into the team. But certainly. When I look at Juventus, I'm like, where are the stars? You know, where are the big players that are going to step up in a game like this to be able to take back? I mean, nine years straight uh, in the league, and it just feels like this feels a little bit of a subpar team. Um, even in a match like this, they should be able to match up and actually prove or punch back and show that they they should be uh, a title chaser. And there wasn't anything about them that made me feel like, hey, these guys are, have they have some sort of capability to go, hey, okay, we're going to keep. I know they're on 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 a on an unbeaten run right now, but there's nothing that says that that unbeaten run will extend forever because it's not like they're exceptional defensively or they have some sort of ability offensively where they keep themselves in games. It just seems like a, a solid Serie A team and not the teams that we've seen in the past. Yeah, and to your point uh, earlier, James Spence, I think the happier uh, of this result will be someone like Napoli who couldn't get anything uh, out of Mourinho, but you know that you know, and at least Jersey Mourinho and Roma didn't concede six like in the Conference League, that dreadfully tough Conference League mm-hmm. that Mourinho detests. Uh, he uh, apparently he sent the, he sent some sent some humiliated humiliated players to the stands as well, which was uh, and then Mourinho was sent to the stands as well. But at least they got that result. And AC Milan, by the way, as well, got a big win. So Napoli twenty five points. AC Milan, 25 points. So uh, the one thing about Juventus is that the last time they scored more than two goals was in September 26. Is that a worrying thing for you, Heath? That, uh, you know, we talk about the consistency and conventional wisdom of Max Allegri, but if you want to keep up with the big boys, including Napoli and Milan at this point, and Inter Milan, Roma, Atalanta, they're all above Juventus right now. You've got to score more goals. Yeah, in some ways, yes. I do kind of like Juventus's gritty mentality that they've sort of started to tap into where they can play games tight and they they're, there's a growing confidence in, in, in winning games out when they're tight or at least getting points out of games when they're tight. But it's not uh, in the way that... The, it's just a long way to go for a full season if that's the way you're going to play. And you certainly need a goal scorer. You need a star in your team that can put the team on their back and be in that double 
digits closer to that 20 goal a year mark, unless you plan to literally win every game one zero. And that ends up being where three, four, five games, you drop those points because it's one, one, or you give up a late goal. That's a tough recipe, you, you know, unless you have a Chelsea and you have eight defenders deep that are willing to, you know, blockade and, and really buy into that type of system. Yeah, it's, and it's score as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. True. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just wanted to throw in a word of uh, credit for Jose Mourinho. I'm really impressed with him because he's boiled down a process that usually takes three years and he's now doing it in three months, man. You know, uh, Brian Reynolds, Borja Mayoral, all in the stands because they had the temerity to lose to, to Bodo Glimt. He's getting sent off as well. I mean, this is pure year three Mourinho. I know, I know. <laughs> it usually takes a few seasons to build a telenovela, but now he's doing it in like... 18-year-olds to the stands, you know, like as a learning <laughs> lesson. Where it's like they weren't even like Brian Reynolds isn't even the team anyway, you know. <laughs> he, he made a good point, though. He said, uh, I don't know if it's... A, I mean, you know, I'd love to see what you guys think, but he said, you know, Roma is a, has a good team, doesn't have a good squad. So that will ultimately be the decider if they don't win. Said yeah, which is kind of what he's saying, right? James Bench, is, isn't that pretty much the case? Yeah, but like, how is this helping the squad be good? Like, yeah, it doesn't help you at all, but it's very Mourinho. Yeah, well, of course. At some stage, you do have to, one, um, uh, develop your players, and two, kind of come to understand that maybe pe younger people nowadays don't kind of react that well to being told they're rubbish at their job. It's just not how people work nowadays. And we criticize him for not developing young players. I wonder well, why. Yeah, we've we've also created this, you know, when you think about some of the people that have a personal relationship with Jose Mourinho, talk about him in the highest regard, right? This personal relationship, how he checks in on them, you know, constantly seeing how they're doing, really, really cares. But we've also built up this, this mythical character that if you're a young player in the team right now, all you've done is read about the negative of Jose Mourinho for the last year. So perhaps he's trying to light this fire and find a way to motivate you. And you're like, oh, man. This guy hates me. You know, it's not it's not always the you know, there will be a few players that will run with that type of criticism and things like that. But it is a different generation. And it's it's hard because, you know, we in the media, along with Jose Mourinho, hasn't really done himself any favors have built up this this this. I don't know if it's a character, but we built up this thing of being, you know, perhaps a little bit harsher or 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 meaner or scarier than he might actually be or care him caring less than he might actually care. Yeah, to be fair, though, and all this talking about Roma, how they were pretty woeful defensively last season. Well, you know, this Roma under Jose Mourinho is the second best in the league. Only Napoli have a better, uh, you know, uh, defensive record. They're joint with AC Milan. So there's something to be said about that, right? Let's put out the rest of the results, Desnores, from Serie A as we conclude our Italian coverage here at Que Golasso. I talked about AC Milan uh, winning 4-3 against Bologna. What else do we have here? We talked about Inter Juventus already. Fiorentina, 3-0 against Cagliari. Uh, that man, Vlaovic, obviously still scoring as well. And uh, that's pretty much it. Verona, Verona, by the way, beating Lazio is a big one. Uh, Diego Simeone's son scoring a hat-trick in that one. Uh, against uh, a team that has, uh, what is it, Mussolini's great-grandson? Uh, I don't think he he came on, but of course he's a right-winger. I, I don't know. I, I, like, <laughs> honestly, it had to be, right? He, that you're shaking your head. Oh, well, well, this was the week of, like, the Falconer right. and everything like goals. that. And yeah, yeah, like, Gio Simone uh, scored four goals. Sorry, Heath, yeah. Okay, no, I know no, nothing. No, I, I, it was just like, you know, anytime we have the Mussolini chat, it's happening during a week where the Falconer gets banned, 
because he's saluting the fans and doesn't. And then instead of, you know, uh, recognizing it, doesn't understand why, why being fascist is, is an issue. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I, and I listen, nothing political for me here. I'm just telling you facts. His great grandson is in the squad and he's a right winger. That's literally all I'm telling you right now. Mm-hmm. And they got beat by uh, Giovanni Simeone. He scored four goals. It's pretty good. Not bad. All right. Well, listen, that was the uh, end of our Serie A chat and Premier League, which means we say goodbye to James Bench. He needs to sleep because he's talking to us from the UK. James Bench, thank you so much, brother. Uh, We hope you have a good evening and we will see you next time. Thanks so much, man. Night, folks. Pleasure to join you. Good night, my friend. And that's James Bench leaving us, which means Heath Piers and yours truly will keep going. Uh, If you're watching this on YouTube, it's a quick break, meaning half a second, and we'll be right back on the podcast. It's a break, a full break. You can pause, do whatever you want and come back. We will see you very, very soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. See, I told you we'll be seeing you very soon. We're here. We're not going anywhere. Heath Pierce and yours truly, LME. Lumiela Chigaray breaking down the rest of the weekend action. And let's go to Spain. El Clásico. Not very classic, but, you know, Real Madrid wins its fourth consecutive Clásico. The first time that happened since 1965. Carlo Ancelotti, by the way, his first away win. His first win at Camp Nou there, Heath Beers as well, but also means Ronald Koeman loses his third straight Clásico. It's not looking good. I mean, listen, let's. where do you want to start, man? Serginho Dest-Smith's Heath Beers? What was that about? Uh, I mean, it, you could just see the time when it was coming to him, the lean back. There was a lack of, quite frankly, a lack of confidence of being alone with the goalkeeper in a huge moment like that. That is probably the biggest moment of his career so far and you could see a lack of confidence or killer instinct which obviously i'm super grateful as in uh, that we have american players playing at the biggest clubs and starting in 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 the biggest derbies or or not derbies but rivalries and he's been one of barcelona's best players leading up to this it's not like you know he he has he's been fantastic but you know again when we set the bar that high i want to see that next level and that killer instinct from him and quite frankly that was a turning point where Real Madrid had struggled to settle in. They were cagey and you, you kind of what you expected. It was, it had a little bit of that old classico in the beginning that you could clearly see who the home team was. You could clearly see that the Barcelona style of play is difficult to play against. You could see Real Madrid respecting that and sort of allowing it, uh, trying to leave it a little chaotic until they could settle in a little bit. And they so was that missed that. a turning point in a classico? Somebody's asking that. So I wanted to ask it for you. What was, was that missed? Because it was nil nil to your point. Barcelona were doing well. Like they, they had the team, the fans behind him. Sergio Dest misses a sitter 
and against the runner plate, David Alaves scores a great goal. Was that was that the turning point? You think, or, or was it going to happen anyway? I mean, I, I, at that point, you could see that Real Madrid was starting to figure it out. They were starting to get their wingers isolated wide. That were starting to disrupt play. Therefore, starting to get Benzema more involved. So they were starting to get into it. I yeah. think I wouldn't say it was the turning point, but it was a turning point. I don't know who the turning point was for, right? Against Barcelona or for Real Madrid in that moment, but certainly something happened where Real Madrid woke up and we're like, oh man, we're going to have to kick and you can't give up opportunities like that. One, two, three passes and now you got somebody on the back post with a decent, oh, not a decent, a fantastic look on goal uh, that it, it either woke them up or Barcelona felt that that deflation or that lack of confidence where they're like, oh, it's going to be another one of those days. We've done all of this work. And then for... By and large, for the rest of the game, Barcelona didn't really have an attacking identity. Yeah, they can they can keep possession. Yeah, they can play the ball. But in, again, in that final third, where they've always been best for the last decade, they just don't have ideas. They don't have options. There's no creativity. Uh, there's there's not ideas. It's lacking just this flow, rhythm, confidence. You know, I go back again to that Sergio Dest thing, where it's like almost like he doesn't believe that he's in a position like that to score in El Clasico, where because they're not creating a ton of chances every game and they're it's unlucky. They're just not creating a lot offensively for you to have that belief where it's like, oh, let's keep going. I think it was a turning point now that I'm thinking about it because they realized that to get to that place in front of frame or in front of goal, Barcelona realized that it's a it's a lot of work to do that right now. Whereas normally a Barcelona team of the past, no problem. Five, five, six minutes, maybe in a minute, we're going to break you down and get to another chance like that. Uh, they realize that their chances are coming few and far between. And if they don't finish them, they're obviously waking up a sleeping giant in Real Madrid, but other teams as well. Yeah, so Sergio Huero comes on, scores a consolation goal, and Elliot Stevens makes a good point, actually. Something I was thinking about once uh, Aguero got healthy. Barcelona looked much better with Aguero up front rather than Dest, meaning rather than Dest as a full wing back instead of going as a right back. Aguero should play the nine with Memphis on one side, Fatty on the other one, and then drop uh, Dest back. Obviously, this doesn't help Dest that much, but... I think it's a pretty good point. You like Barca need that sort of natural nine to be supported because you know Memphis and Ansu Fati they can't they can't fully do it. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. The problem is is that I know Aguero wants to go to PSG, right? He wants to go <laughs> join his friend who was like, "Hey, yeah, man, he's not happy." Like yeah. you know, uh, and obviously he needs to work into it, and it's just hard to find a rhythm. And there's not a, a you know, uh, Sergio Aguero is best when he has players around him that get him into the game. He gets them into the game and. Now he's slipped off their shoulder and he's got himself one touch, two touch sets up and he's and he's banging goals in and around the goal. He's he's fantastic. But I feel like they've they've had this thing where it was like Griezmann. Hey, you need to carry the team uh, now. Aguero, you need to carry the team. And you're like, no, no, I don't know if that's the I don't know if that's the 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 answer. Memphis Depay, I think he's had two two penalties uh, as his last two goals, but and, and hasn't scored in the run of play, I think, since since August or something like that, you know, like there's this instant pressure. And I talk about Serginio Dest in the same regard. If you're going to be in the high three, you need to, you need to be able to score consistently. You have that team needs goals. And right now they're just lacking that little bit of extra class that takes them from being a good team to a world-class team because they have players where, you know, Messi as an example, obviously where it's one touch, two touches, and now an individual moment of brilliance. And now the team's like, okay, now we've got them spread out. Now we've got you chasing the ball. And we've also got players where, oh, do I press Messi? Do I hold back? Do I go to the next player? I mean, where do I, and teams start to fall apart because you have that much quality around you. You know, possession to death works if you can score goals, but if not, people are like, have the ball. We're yeah. not going to do anything against us. 
Yeah, by the way, that's Virginia just uh, assisted that Sergio Huero goal yeah. as well, just uh, worth mentioning. By the way, because of Real Betis, who are a real team right now, super together, collective, you're wearing their colors right now. They're fifth in La Liga. The uh, the 18 points uh, they're doing, which means uh, Osasuna sixth, Rayo Vallecano seventh, Athletic Club uh, Bilbao uh, eighth, Barcelona ninth. They're in real danger, Heath Pierce, of not getting Champions League next season. I know it's just October, but still, it speaks for itself. I mean, you know, it's very tight this table. Atletico Madrid uh, drawing today. Well, Real Sociedad have 18 and fourth, and Barcelona have 15. So it's not that detrimental. But still, though, you could see this going worse rather than better very soon. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, Barcelona is going to have to put together 10, 12 games unbeaten. And I, I don't see where that's going to come from. I see that if they can get Aguero into form and keep him healthy and he stays. Uh, I don't know how realistic this sort of swap rumors are with Icardi or or whatever, too. I think it was Icardi, right? That that they're talking yeah. about no doing boy, a swap for. That would be silliness. But. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know how realistic all those are. But yeah, for me, they're going to have to have that kind of run of form. And it, and it can't be in the way in which they're doing it now, right? They do a couple of games and they get results and you go, yeah, but, it, you know, similar to Man United, where you get a few results in a row and you go, yeah, but what's the foundation under this? Is it is it firm? Is it an identity? Or are they just like sort of getting by? And again, if you can figure that out, that's that's great. You know, I think Juventus are an example where they're starting to figure out how to get results ugly and and that becomes the thing. But when you just win games and you look at it and you go, I'm not sure how we're winning. Um, we're just somehow doing it. I think that's a, a tough recipe that that could put them in, in jeopardy. I, I still think they're they're a top four team in this league. And again, we saw Sociedad, what, it was around Christmas or January, they start to fall off. Yeah. You know, you saw teams starting to give up points that will keep them in it. I don't think it's, it's all on them. They'll, they'll start to see some of those other results uh, shake out where they're, where they're in the thick of things. But yeah, I mean, the way that they're attacking, at least they're going to struggle to finish top four and the way that they're attacking currently Aguero could be the answer to that. But certainly right now, um, if they attack like this the whole year, I don't think it's top 14, but he could be the answer to that. Yeah, well, that was the first Clásico since Lionel Messi left, but it was Lionel Messi's first Classique, Le Classique Marseille against PSG. It was a nil-nil. It had its moments. Hakimi got a red card for a push on Under. Uh, Conrad de la Fuente was very good, but he did also miss a pretty good opportunity. Uh, but it was he came on in the last 20 minutes and he did his thing. But regardless, it stayed nil-nil. I think that probably... You know, from a table perspective, Heath Pierce, it pleases Paris Saint-Germain because they're top of the table. But still, though, some things are not clicking. Neymar was not good. Uh, he came off for uh, Wijnaldum later in that game. It's, you know, obviously. And by the way, I think I posted a, a stat earlier about, you know, Messi goalless in his first four league games of the season for the first time since 2005. 2006. What do you make of uh, this draw, Messi, etc. PSG? Well, with regard to Messi, you look at his performances for Argentina, and it's always been different than Barcelona, right? From start to finish. Yes, he's he's done spectacular things for Argentina. Yes, he's Messi's the goat. But like, I do want to say that his performances are different. He's been part of a system since he was a teenager that was built for him. Every single thing. Every single signing, every single player was built with him in mind. And if they didn't work, that player left. Look at the magnitude of signings that Barcelona has had throughout the years. And the one person that it was built around was Lionel Messi, right? Mm. Now you're actually going into a system that's been built. You're at an age where there's not a time, there's not time to build a team around you. And so I think there's going to be 
certain moments uh, that they're going to have to work through that are going to be difficult. The upside is they play away from home. They are 10 points. They got 10 points right now on, on, um, on Marseille. On yeah. Marseille. Uh, there was a, a couple goals called back. And by the way, on, on that, uh, on the Hakimi red card, this is the wild world of, of VAR now where the ref called a handball on Unger uh, on that play. So yeah. he calls him for falling down, grabbing the ball with his hands, calls a foul for, for PSG. We're going the other way. Then the game stops. Then he gets called over. Then they look at the replay. Then they send Hakimi off on <laughs> on on a red card. It was a wild thing. because oh, Had Unger not like, gone that handball, it wouldn't be a red card because like, there was nothing else to play. <laughs> yeah, it was it was one of those like series of events where you're like, oh, foul for the other way. And he's all everybody's mad and there's all this stuff going on. And then a the player sent off and you're like, how does this happen? Uh, but that's just the world of like the, the watchful eye being under the watchful eye now uh, of the game. However, there was there was a PSG had a goal called back. Marseille had a goal called back, both offside. Uh, Neymar was 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 offside in, in in his situation that led to an own goal and and whatever. But overall, for PSG, it's concerning still that they're not getting better. But for them in the table, it's just another step forward to get a point playing away from home against Marseille. Belgium's a very difficult place to play, and even though they're not playing well, they're they're cruising there, which. I don't know if that's an indicator of of being able to scrap out uh, results when they need them because they're still. I think they're eight points clear at the top of the table in the league, maybe seven. Uh, so they're still in a really comfortable position in the league. But you start to look at it and you go, "Yeah, but when are we going to see the team that we all thought you know we were building this megatron of a team? When are we going to start to see that come together?" And it looks far far from pace where they look comfortable, confident, cohesive. Um, any, you could just, any C word that you want, you could just place that in there. <laughs> not any, not anyone, not any C word. Uh, let's, yeah. it's a family show here, but, uh, no, but yeah, thank you, Elliot, for that. We also agree. Sometimes it's better when someone like the Maria is in there. He also came off. Uh, it's not always the best, but listen to your point. Yes, it's struggling, but you know, they're top of Liga, as you can see on the screen, they're top of group a in the champions league. So, you know, it's just about clicking. I think my whole thing for PSG definitely in the Champions League is just get to the knockout stage and then and then just get get your stuff together there. And then in Liga, they're above Lance uh, by nine points, uh, by seven points, I'm sorry, 10 over Marseille, as you mentioned. So, you know. Um, I mean, look, at I mean, no disrespect to, to Lille last year because they were fantastic and phenomenal. But when you look at the teams fighting with them right now, if I'm PSG, I'm sort of like you know you might be you might be 12 points clear by Christmas, and that's a great situation. Maybe it's not. I don't know. We because yeah, and then you get a little break. Somebody, uh, oh, yeah, and then you get a little game. break in Christmas, and then you know you you revamp. It's just about getting to the next stage for them, I think. But you know my my hopes, not hopes, but just my prediction of them winning the Champions League right now is definitely the the the, the smallest it's it's been. All right, let's move on here. Yanks abroad, Americans. Let's do some power rankings, Heath Pierce, former USMNT star Heath Pierce. Let's let's rate let's rate the performances of some of the players. We got a few names, a few things. I want you to give me your top four, like you know, just people, players, American players in Europe that you think you know deserve a grading here. And maybe if you want to mention somebody that really isn't, but you know, we've talked about Serginio Dest, uh, Weston McKenney. Chris Richards as well, uh, you know, losing for for nothing to Bayern Munich. Tyler Adams, another good win for Leipzig though, got that win. Uh, Brandon Aronson, Salzburg doing his thing four one there. Pulisic still injured. We talked about Sargent, Timothy Wen, a one all draw against Lille. Joe Scully had a game. 
Busio Miazga, by the way, doing pretty well with Alaves. And Jonathan, uh, John, John Anthony Brooks as well, by the way, subbed off Wolfsburg. We know what happens with their manager. So hey, give me your top four. Just uh, what do you think? Man, um, well, first off, I'm going to go with Tyler Adams. Obviously, they they played 4-1 over a great, uh, greater Firth, uh, who were, they were 1-1. Tyler Adams came on. The team ended up winning. He subbed in in like the 60-something minute. They were down, I think they were down 1-0. And I was like, oh man, this could be the end for Jesse Marsh. Every time I'm seeing this, I'm like, whatever. Then they claw their way back to win 4-1 in that game when Tyler Adams, Adams played the final 30 in that match. So I'm not sure if it was, a benching or a squad rotation for them, but he, he was obviously part of the plans, came on, and the team sealed a, a victory. So he's he's high in my power rankings now. His consistency is fantastic in the Bundesliga. Uh, speaking of the flip side of that, you know, Matt Miazga is one that I think has done really well. It's hard to argue to not have him in camp, but at the same time, he's not an unknown commodity for the national team. I think his performance has been solid, but nothing uh, spectacular at the national team level that leads me to John Anthony Brooks. Similarly, hasn't been as good in the Bundesliga since leaving another one who has, so I'll put it second in my power rankings. Joe Scally continues to play consistently for the team. Yes. Gladbach haven't been uh, as fantastic as, as I would have hoped that could make him sort of a shoe in on a, on a Bundesliga team that's winning week in and week out. However, he's playing consistently and yeah. he's playing in a number of different positions where I'm just like, I don't care. You don't see him as a right back. No problem. You don't see him as a left back. No problem. He can play bring right him midfield, in. left just midfield, bring him in. just bring him in. So I've, ha- I've got, I got him second, on my power rankings, Conrad, uh, Conrad De La Fuente is one where I'm like, gosh, he's, he's such a spark that it also hurts a little bit. Cause he's a spark off the bench for Marseille. And I know there's not a lot of room for him in that Marseille team right now. Cause they have a lot of high quality players in the attack, but I look at it and I go, man, t- when he comes on for 20 minutes, he just runs at people. He disrupts defenses. And I know we have that with Matthew Hoppy. I know we have that um, with with Timo Weah. I know we have that in, in sort of spades. If you have Gio Reyna back, then you have Brendan Aronson to do that. But I, it's still one of those ones where I'm like, if he could just get into the starting lineup, I would put him higher in my power ranking. So and right he's now, 20. he's Adams. 20 years old. He's yeah. 20. He's got plenty of time. Yeah. Right now, I'm going Tyler Adams, number one. I'm going Joe Scally, number two. I'm going Serginho Dest, number three in my power ranking, just because of the fact the guy's playing in El Clasico. And yeah, I missed the sitter. I would have probably have him at number one. He's playing He's playing consistently in the attack as an attacker in Messi's position. I guess Messi would probably come on the other side or floating. But like still, as a high... A uh, high right winger in a, in a, in Barcelona's system is absolutely amazing for for the American fan and the p- development of the American player. That I'm all for that. So he's in my top four. I'm only going to give you four for now. And then Brendan Aronson cons- consistently playing. Uh, and then on the flip side, I'm hoping that uh, Timothy Weah gets more starts. I'm hoping that oh, Gian Lucabusio, he's another one too. I, I'm, we'll make it a top five for now because I think he came <laughs> off injured in that game or took a knock in 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 their game over the weekend. They're just really struggling, but he's still one of the best players uh you know he's played sort of in an eight role he's played a little bit in a 10 role he's played he started at the sixth spot for for uh venezia and so he's the one that he's one that's continuing to get so much experience and we're not putting too much pressure on him which i'm happy with right you look at all these players and i just want to point this out you look at all these players right now if you go back a few years and i know i've said this before but if you go back a few years we would have had so much pressure on busio he's playing in syria michael bradley when he was at at uh at uh, I think he was at where was he at Kievo or something? Um, 
Is yeah, that where, before so. he was at yeah. Roma? Um, we So much pressure on these guys to sort of be the answer for us moving forward. That Now, Busio, you're like, dude, is he call, are we calling him in or not? Is he What kind of player, what kind of role is he? And right now, he just gets to focus on a team that's really struggling in Serie A. Had they gotten the win, by the way, they could have been up at the mid, middle table. I think I think uh, Venezia will stay up in the league because they're, 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 I think they'll add more pieces in the winter and, and, and they'll stay up. But for a player like that, I'm looking at him in the power ring. He's going, man, this guy's going to continue to play if he's healthy. He's super young, and he's going to get um, these reps that we need to make him a better player. We can't have everybody playing in, in in great scenarios all the time. They need to be able to grind through that that make them better players. So, yeah, that would be, um, you know, Conrad playing in, in Le Classique, uh, Serginho Des playing in, in El Clasico, um, you know, uh, Brendan Aronson just because of his value of the team, and then and then I'm looking at Joe Scally and Tyler Adams as my guys to watch. Um, it's funny because when I looked at Friday, Saturday of the weekend, I was like, man, not a great weekend when you look at John Anthony Brooks and you look at some of the other results. You're like, man, it's going to be one of those poor weekends for for Americans abroad. But no, um, listen, man, an American in like Clasico, an American in La Classique, an American in Derby d'Italia. It's it's not a bad uh, thing to to be thinking about when you think about the present and the future. Of the USMNT, yeah, yeah, I agree. It, it's it's uh, it, it again. It shows you how far we come that we're judging. I'm judging Serginho Sergi- Dest in our power rankings based on how he plays in El Clasico. Exactly, like, my friend. You know, I, I, I'm uh, like instead of just being like he's playing for like he's just at like when we had Conrad there, we were like just get him a game for the first team. We'd be I, so happy. Heath Pierce, I'm like cheering my ass off when Sergio, uh, you know, Sergio Pena gives the ball away uh, and Malmo against Chelsea. That's a bad call. And one Peruvian <laughs> in the Champions League, I'm going nuts. You should be saluting this. Absolutely uh, fantastic. And that was it. That was our weekend recap. James Bench, thank you so much. Heath Pierce, always appreciate you, my friend. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Yeah, Ajax are the greatest team of all time. I'm next time you see me on here, Terrible. I'm going to put my John O'Brien American at Say Ajax the result, man. Say the away. result. Uh, I mean, it, I, I'm not sure what the final result of that game. Five was. nothing against PSV. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> Ajax say no joke. They are not. I mean, it, when you when you come into that, which is funny when we're talking about Ricardo. Oh, by the way, I got a Ricardo Pepe story for you today. Go um, ahead. I get this uh, message from him on Friday, uh, Friday, Friday evening. I'm about to head out to, to, to get my stuff. And I, he goes, Hey man, I'm like, what's up, dude. And he says, do you have um, a PlayStation four? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And he goes, well, do you have a power cable? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Why do you need it? So I end up, he's here. He was in LA to play against LA galaxy this weekend. And I end up having to deliver my power cord to him so he could play PlayStation in his hotel room. And he hasn't messaged me back saying where it is. Did he leave it? Did he take it? They were heading back to Pepe, What are you doing? You borrow something. You give it right back. Come on now. You know, if you know anything about La Cultura, we give our stuff back. What is he thinking? You know what what I was thinking? I didn't even follow up with him because I know that now we get, now we get to leverage it on the show, you know, to go back and get him to do whatever we want. I'm like, Hey man, you know, the whole power, power cord incident. Hey man. Hey, we were talking a few weeks ago about how you're a family. Listen, I'm going to tell your mommy about this. You better give back Heath Pierce's power. That's ridiculous, but that's an awesome story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he was also staying directly across the street, not directly, but like a, a five minute walk from a Best Buy. But I was like, you know what? This will be, you know, 
Then he's going to owe me. There's nothing worse than owing me something because in like 10 years, I'm going to knock on his door yeah, and be I like, yeah. hey, Champions League final, you know that you, I need tickets the night before. Well, Heath, you know what it is? He's a child, man. These children, they don't give anything back. They think everything is owed to them. See, they, here's old man Larry David screaming at the, I'm like, you know. <laughs> it was funny to me, the athlete mentality, right? Is these guys are so locked in in their own little bubbles and worlds that like I, me as an adult now, the first thing I would do if I was staying in a hotel is like spread out on my Google Maps search electronic store and i would see how far it was we're old man we're surviving but for him he, you know he's in a bubble where he's used to being taken care of and having everything prepped for him Absolutely. so like the naturally he goes to his first his network to be like where can i get a cable instead of being like you get a cable from the cable store you know the electronic <laughs> store and then being like whereas like you and i are at an age louise where we don't want to inconvenience anybody where it's like the last thing I want is to, to bother somebody. So yeah, I'll go I'm to like, buy myself. Yeah, exactly. I'll go as far as I have to go to get that. If it's closed, then I'll bother somebody. But he's in the world where he's like, no, it's not bothering someone. I'm just going to ask my peers. Well, um, anyway, Ricardo Pepe, give back uh, Heath's uh, cable, please. Uh, otherwise, uh, we'll make sure that Greg Berhalter doesn't start. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Heath Pierce, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much, brother. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks, everybody, for being part of our family. Uh, Tess Norris, the real story is that Pepe doesn't have a PS5. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy how to get PS5? just getting those things is impossible right now. I know, but you're Ricardo Pepe. You're in the game that in FIFA. True. You might as well get something for you. Jeez, please. Anyway, thank you so much for being part of the family. Kegel Lasso Weekend Recap. Make sure that you press that notification bell on our YouTube channel so you can get all the latest episodes. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CBS Sports, and your CBS Sports app. He's been Heath Pierce. I'm Luis Miguel Echegaray. James Bench, thank you so much. We will see you next time. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.